Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is June 9th, 2019, episode 95. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And I just want to do a quick shout out to Mark in Northern California. He's at the uh, Outpost out there. He chimed in uh, to a conversation we had last week about the Steelers being out of the crosshairs and not being chosen to be the division winners this year. And I think we we have agreement that it's just better to be out of the limelight. And I have to say, I think part of that has to do with the personality, right? We've yeah. gotten rid of the drama. And, you know, when I think that we talked about who the leaders were in the clubhouse, I think that there is a, a level of friendliness, but seriousness. And I look at Cam Hayward and I look at Marquise Pouncey as my exhibit A and B. And it's fine. Juju adds a fun element but he's not obnoxious. So I think it's enough to keep things kind of lightened from people being too serious, but I, but I do appreciate friendly, but down to business. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's a theme developing over this off season. And I think we're trying to sort of crystallize that here on the podcast, which is the team's in an interesting position. I think that it's got the best um, like core of leaders that they've had since those Super Bowl years. And I'm not saying that the talent is, equivalent to those Super Bowl years. Um, I don't think it's that far off, but I, I do think the sort of addition by subtraction narrative is a little overrated. I think that losing Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, two big time superstars who from all accounts, like on the day-to-day people like them in the locker room, but it's impossible to argue that, man, they they have some diva tendencies and, and losing those personalities. I do think gains you something in terms of having people um, on a uh, people share a like common goal and this or that, but I don't think you become a better team just because you lose mega superstar players. I think the Steelers were already making a great team um, just based on the acquisition of players. And they'd probably be even better on the field if you still had those two guys, but after you lose them, I almost think it was more like the media backlash saying the Steelers have no way of recovering from this. Okay, they're essentially an afterthought as far as powers of the NFL go now because how could the team that lost their best players and didn't add anybody major, how could that team become a dominator? You know, And then all the trashing that happened with Ben Roethlisberger in the media over the summer, I think that whole combination of everything, that's what's kind of given them this new sense of purpose. And they are this interesting meld of people where they're, at, they're a young team. They're one of the uh, uh, 10 youngest teams in the league. 
but they have this veteran leadership with some of the guys that you talked about with Pouncey and with Foster and Cam and then obviously Ben. So they have leadership, but they're not too old. I hey, real you, quick, you don't have to you don't have to share that screen with me too. It's kind of it takes me. Always talk to share though. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, I have it pulled up. The fact that Juju 16 brings the average team age down by like a half a year. You're probably right. <laughs> That's well, actually probably what it is. 98 years old. Yeah, he's the elder statesman at 22 years old. How, how weird is that, right? No DHB, no Antonio Brown. It really dipped. Well, football does continue. OTAs are over. But this week we see minicamp from Tuesday through Thursday. I guess the players will be showing up today, physicals tomorrow, and get back on the field on Tuesday. They're allowed to have – Two practices a day, up to three and a half hours a day. Um, but obviously, the practices are limited to basically walkthrough activities. I think it, it seems to me it looks a lot like OTAs, but everybody has to be there. De Castro. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, my man. What is, what is he having a kid or something like that? You can have a kid when you're retired, buddy. I get, yeah, we talked about this last year a little bit. I think that really the only major difference is you can do two a day and then it's required attendance. But Steelers, like you just said, everybody was there except for David, who had a very good reason. So, well, there, there'll be some news from that. There was a highlight tape that the Steelers put out on Twitter. Um, they are really pumping the Juju thing. It's a lot of pressure on Juju for this year. I'm going to be honest. He's, he's really going to have to perform because the expectation is, I think it's sort of becoming that, oh, you lost AB. It's okay. You have Juju. Well, Juju's awesome, but there are maybe only five or six receivers in the history of the game who have AB's production. I envision Juju and having a great season, but I don't, who knows? I mean, maybe he will have 120 catches, but regardless, the Steelers put out a highlight tape of Juju from OTAs with this super epic music. It's a really well-produced, well-done video. If you check out their Twitter page, but it is hilarious seeing Juju in a practice jersey, not being covered by anyone catching passes against air with like that Batman music behind him. Juju catch. One and a catch with no one covering him. Dancing. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know if they realize how funny it is, but it sort of works. There was a tweet that Pittsburgh Sport put out this week. Um, yes. Actually, hours ago. And this is an interesting conversation. And he is comparing the 2018 Steelers to the 2019 by position and indicating whether the arrow is pointing up, down, or equal. Bush, right. Yeah, it was a cool put. I think Steelers takeaways. If you're listening to this, man, let me confirm, but I'm pretty sure your name is Ron. Ron's one of the best Steelers tweeters out there. He does, uh, I think he has like a man, a thousand interviews with uh, different Steelers players past and present. It's like uh, 600 plus. He's getting to a thousand. So I thought this was kind of a cool drill to do. Once again, with some of the theme of the summer, how you and I have been talking about the Steelers are actually a bit underrated now. Um, like I said, it's not because, oh, you lost Antonio Brown, you're a better team. No, you were already becoming a really good team. Um, then again, maybe you wouldn't have gotten Devin Bush without the AB trade, but Either way, they have really no holes on the starting roster at any position except for one major one, which is kicker. Kicker is major. If you even had an, a mediocre kicker last year, the Steelers would have been in the playoffs, and honestly, they would have had a great shot at the Super Bowl. You saw how well they were playing when they played the really outplayed the Saints Patriots and Chargers, obviously blew two of those games, and honestly had some 
really horrific calls go against them in the Chargers game and the Saints game, but that's part of an NFL season. Sometimes you get those calls, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get the fumble, sometimes you don't. Sometimes Aaron Rodgers is injured when you're trying to play him. Whatever. You know, I'm, all I'm saying is that if Boswell had made some routine kicks, you would have been a better team. And we don't know where we're at right now with the kicker. So when you put, um, so here's some of the, here's what Ron put, Steelers' takeaways. Oh, it is the Steelers' takeaway, Pittsburgh sport, right. Um, QB, push. Obviously, Ben's still there. Running back, 2019 iteration is better than the 2018 iteration. Completely agree. You got the same guys, but you're bringing Benny Snell, who could be a good contributor. And in my mind, the type of running back that you want as a backup. Can we rewind a second? I, I don't want to, I don't dispute. I agree with the running back on sure. Ben. And I, I know that's the same person. So technically it's a push. It's Ben. He's a year older. I actually don't think that's going to have a big effect. He did start working out last year, as you noticed. I mean, he did slim down last year. So I'm not sure there's a noticeable physical difference. I just wonder if there's a renewed resolve from him, as we mentioned last week. So we talked about this last week, uh, the, the left go show or whatever he calls it now without Sims left go. Adam left has this great segment called, Whoa, big off season, which is where he talks about all the little media reports that surface during this time of the year when everybody has hope, or as Mike Florio, another great podcaster says, every team is going to the playoffs right now. And shows want to lie to you and they want to tell you that your team can go. Well, guess what? Not every team's going. So sometimes these stories come across in the offseason where you often hear the phrase, he's in the best shape of his life. Okay, he's in the best shape of his life. Interesting. Or, wow, Josh Jobs is playing incredible against no defenses and no contact and no TAs. Or Ben Roethlisberger is working out. So you got to take all that with a grain of salt. But you and I are relatively serious about this. This is kind of a big deal. I don't think he's going to come out there and throw seven more touchdowns as a result of working out. But this is a guy who's just operated his whole career off of pure athletic talent. The dude just, he can throw the ball. He can move around and he knows how to play football. He doesn't, he clearly doesn't work out. He barely warms up in practice. He's famous for walking around warmups with a backwards baseball cap. Other coaches will marvel at it. You just see him dapping up everybody. And then he gets, throws the helmet on and chucks some bombs and completes them. But then subsequently you also see some of those bad games where like, Oh, he's not feeling it today. You wonder about his, his film preparation. I'll always remember my favorite stretch of games was the, was the two games in a row against Indian Baltimore, where he threw six touchdown passes and like 500 yards in each game. Pretty sure the next game he played, they lost to the Michael Vick Jets and he like barely threw for 200 yards. And that's kind of another example of like, hey, he just wings it. He's like Brett Favre. Randy Moss was famously similar. Randy Moss said, I don't stretch before games. Don't stretch. Guy worked his way up to arguably the best receiver of all time. You know, number two, if you want to say that. Uh, Warren Sapp is another one. Chris Sims, another great podcaster, talks about Warren Sapp did work out sometimes he would hit the bench a little bit just so the coaches would get off his butt but some guys can just wake up and do this thing but then you what uh, can you imagine what ben would be if he put in the preparation that's made brady and breeze and those guys as good as they are well maybe he's not doing that but i agree with you this is my long-winded version of saying i think that'll help i think losing one of the greatest receivers of all time who he had an excellent chemistry with is going to hurt him because he's been used to that for eight or nine years now 
that's kind of how he plays the game, looking for AB. Other people are going to have to step up and play that backyard Ben ball, but maybe it'll help him because he's not forcing the ball to AB, which is where a lot of his interceptions have come uh, from over the years. And hopefully they'll have a more balanced running attack and play action and stuff like that. Well, I, I, I stayed away from that because when you start talking about the interplay between positions, it makes this thing unbelievably complicated, right? Is Ben going to be better himself or, and, and it is, it's, it's the truth. I mean, he has, he doesn't have the talent at wide receiver that he did last year. That's going to hurt him. But I was trying to just imagine whether he himself will be uh, the same guy right. or there'll be a difference, but that brings us to the wide receivers. And I, I can't see that there's any argument that we've dropped. Yeah. Actually, it, like a big deal. All this prognostication about James Washington aside, and by the way, my prediction, just because it doesn't cost me anything to make Do this, it. he won't be the guy that does it. It'll be Juju. It'll be Moncrief. It'll be Moncrief. <laughs> Moncrief's good, man. I'm telling you. I, listen, I really like this group of wide receivers. If you look at any other team in the NFL and you have this group of wide receivers, the one thing is it's question marks. We're, the guys you have the least amount of question marks are Juju and Moncrief because, like we said before, Moncrief has shown consistent high performance. I mean, he played so well in Indianapolis with Andrew Luck that he got that deal to go to the Jaguars on free agency. So we have seen him play well. And then we lucked out because he's played with uh, crappy quarterbacks the past two years, you know? Um, so you've seen him do it, but you haven't seen him do it on the Steelers. And you haven't seen him do it in a couple of years. And by do it, I mean like play at a high level. We haven't seen that in a couple of years, but at least we've seen it. We've seen Juju play at a high level before, but now we want to see if he can be a number one receiver. Well, he made the transition from the first year to the second year. I thought he would slow down with more attention without Martavis there. He totally blew that out of the water. So hopefully he can do it. If you looked at this group of receivers anywhere else in the NFL, you'd say, this is a pretty good group. They have a lot of options. Just, I'm sorry, losing the best receiver that you've ever had is, I mean, it's a downgrade. I'm not saying that they can't be a great group. Again, this, this, uh, the interplay and there, there are a lot of complexities. You're right. That the, the talent level that will be starting is definitely going to start behind where it was last year, but I do feel like the depth is deeper. Is that redundant? It'll be a deeper depth. depth is deeper. It's a deeper depth. You're right. Yeah. No, it is. And this, I just want to keep coming Which back. To the you have Eli Rogers back. It's be really curious to see if one or both of those guys make it, but you know, you just don't have to worry about slot receiver. I, I don't think you have to worry about yeah. slot receiver. Moncrief coming on coming on and there are um some of these sort of oddball guys out there that are going to push like trey griffey and tevon jones yeah um i think it's tevin right or tevon i make i just don't i stop trying to stop trying to figure out how to pronounce this stuff so i'll just wait for you to correct me i think they have like three pairs of guys with almost identical names at identical positions like i think barry man is the other punter they brought in to compete with barry so it's really not your fault there um, I agree with you. I just, I, there's such an embarrassment of riches at the receiver position right now. And I think that it's going to make for incredible competition during camp. And I know that sounds like that's what like a lot of homers for their own teams like to say to themselves, like competition's going to make this team way better. This, that at the end of the day, man, it comes down to great players, but they do have some great players. And I think that that competition is really going to sort out the bottom. I think it's going to be an awesome competition between Man, you got Washington going head-to-head with Moncrief. You got Eli Rogers going head-to-head with Deontay Johnson. Well, Deontay Johnson is really more of an outside guy. So Deontay Johnson is kind of in the role there. Switzer and and Eli Rogers in in the slot. And 
that makes for a good competitive camp and that's going to make for better position groups. I'm just going to keep coming back to this and tell you guys, like you'd still have these guys and Brown if Brown was still on the team. So yes, it's lower than last year, but you're in, you're still in a great position. So what are you going to do from a protection standpoint, the offensive line lost Marcus Gilbert, yep. notably he had, he had missed a significant part of the season. Uh, Filer filled in more than serviceable, and he's got he's he himself is getting pushed this year. What do you what would you say about the O line? I say it's obviously a downgrade, and this is where the this is where I chimed in to his tweet. We had some great conversations. Boss Dog sixty nine. He chimed in. He's another big Steelers tweeter. Um, I, I just think that you sort of have the same situation that you have with the wide receivers. Not only. Only did you lose Gilbert, but we've seen the Steelers play the last two seasons without Gilbert. He's only played half the year and, and both the past two seasons. And there really was no noticeable drop off in the offensive line performance. So yes, I think they will be good. Retaining Foster was huge. You and I were really touting that at the beginning of the off season when the word was he's going to be out of town. We were keeping our fingers crossed saying, really hope that they make this move to secure this guy. Well, they did, but not only did you lose Gilbert who first off is he's a better player than Filer. Like nobody's going to make that argument. Marcus Gilbert's a really good tackle. You remember his last healthy year, he shut out Von Miller. He shut out uh, a bunch of, I don't remember every single person he went against that year in that 2016 year, but he was an absolute monster and he's a big time player, big time athlete. So he's better than Filer. That doesn't mean I think the offensive line is going to suck without him, but you do have a worse starting guy. And then, so instead of Filer being your backup, he's, he's your starter you get what I mean. The depth is left less deep, even though they do have a nice group of guys behind them with Hawkins and Chooks and these things. But I'm going to say the same thing I said with AB. You'd still have those guys and a higher end starter for you, Gilbert. But more than anything, Mike Munchak's gone. The best offensive line coach in the entire league outside of New England. That makes a difference. Now, we are lucky that this group has had such continuity and such great veteran leadership where these guys have all been starting together for a long time and even the backups with Finney and Chooks has been there for a year even the backups have been around for a while and Sean Serrett the offensive line coach has also been here for a while he's not one of the greatest offensive line coaches ever though I do think he can be good so I'm not worried about the line but it is a downgrade from last year let's talk about the the tight ends I think that uh losing the gunslinger it's going to make a difference. People weren't very high on Jesse James, but I mean, Jesse James, Jesse James's job most of the time. Um, we're always, we're always hopeful that Vance McDonald will last the whole season. And you and I were talking offline just right. about his inconsistency. Now, I don't know whether that's Vance's inconsistency or, or something having to do with the game plan. Cause when he's on, I mean, he's, he's Heath, but he's just not Heath hundred yeah. percent of the time. My prediction here again, because it doesn't count. Is it Christian Scotland Williamson will finally emerge? That's right. As your six nine beast master, or just we'll just send him into the corner of the end zone, just stand there with his arms up. That's right. The new spark. Six touchdowns this year. We got him and Gentry or Gentry or however you say the new tight end's name, and they're all you know seven feet tall. So you just throw them into the corners of the end zone, and they're just your safety valves. I like it. No, Vance. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, when Vance is on, Vance is Heath, but Vance is Heath with you know, point a half a second taken off of his 40 time and just a complete inability to be tackled. You can't tackle the guy. It's just tough with Vance because it's so alluring when he's on, he legitimately looks like one of the best five or six tight ends in the league. 
He's a monster blocker. He's one of the only guys who can do that. And then he has this long speed and he can murder people in the game within the context of the rules by stiff arming them in the face. One of the greatest plays I've ever seen. But the only thing is I just have never seen him do it like consistently. And even when he's on the field consistently, he just kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes you'll have five catches even in the first half and he'll be killing it. You won't see him for the second half and then you won't see him for two more games. So I agree with you. I don't know how much of that is about him, how much of that is about the game plan revolving around him, and how much of it is about his chemistry with Ben. But hopefully his chemistry with Ben and the game planning will start to gel a little bit more and the game plan will start to focus around him maybe more in this offseason now that you have to kind of reconfigure your passing game without a B. So moving on to linebackers, both inside and outside run, uh, Pittsburgh sports says both are pointing up. And obviously we brought on Devin Bush. You brought on Mark Barron. It is hard to know though. I mean, it's hard to know what Devin Bush will be. I mean, we're very excited because we finally got a top 10 guy, but right. you know, we've got to play the game. Right. So, and maybe we can, we got a little segment in store later for that too. Just talking about rookies transitioning into the NFL, but as you look at it right now, I mean, dude, he's an, up, he's an upgrade over John Bostic, and so is Mark Barron. So that inside linebacker group is a quantum leap forward. The outside linebacker group, I think, will be better than last year because everybody in Pittsburgh loves T.J. Watt. He's a very likable guy. I think he, um, last year, basically every half season, you see a noticeable jump from him. In his rookie year, he actually started really fast, and he did actually slow down in the second half of that season as he got tired. But after that, every, like, eight games, you see a pickup from him. And last year, he acquired a lot of stats in the first half of the season, but I don't think that they were all, like, super impressive or anything. I think he was good, but he got a lot of hustle sacks. He, if you look at all the sacks he had last year, a, a weird amount of them are unblocked where he just comes in and then he does a good job making a play, tackling the guy in the end zone or like we did with Cam Newton when Cam Newton threw an interception or whatever. But on, on the second half of the year, his stats were good, but he was beating his man. He was doing a better job as an outside linebacker, as a dominator, as a first-round pick, as a Lamar Woodley, a James Harrison, Jason Gildon, Joy Porter, as a person who's not just a scheme guy. Now, I think Bud actually is a decent scheme guy, someone you can rely on in the run game, in the pass game, out in coverage. And then if you blitz him on those little twists or stunts or something like that, he can get his eight sacks a year because he's a good athlete. But Bud isn't really going to be beating people on a consistent basis. I think TJ Watt showed in the second half of last year that it's really starting to click for him. And he's learning how to beat people with his array of pass moves. And even plays that he doesn't finish. When you get past him, you rush the quarterback, you hurry him. Those are a big deal too. And that's why the average fan might not know how good an outside linebacker is. Because they say, oh, he had seven sacks here. He's awesome. Okay, well, he might have only had four sacks later, but he had five extra plays where he heard the quarterback because he's getting past their number one tackle. And I think he, he's the one that you have to look at as a big breakout guy this year for the Steelers. So I agree that, so looking at TJ, Watt is sort of this log rhythmic improvement year over year while we're hopeful that Bud has incremental improvement and hopefully, you know, not hopefully he was hurt, but hopefully a lot of some of the, what was holding him back was, was injuries. And let's, sure. let's he emerges this year healthy and um, incrementally improved. 
I, and Bud has kind of a Mike Mitchell thing. Not quite. I think Mike Mitchell gets a bad rap for the Steelers because he was actually their only good defender for a while. But he played through some crazy injuries. And he had to play through those injuries because the backups behind him were poop in the can on fire. And Bud Dupree plays through a lot of injuries. And I'm not going to say, wait till he gets healthy. He's going to be J.J. Watt. He's going to be Khalil Mack. No, I'm not saying that. But he hopefully will be a little bit better. And he is an adequate starter right now albeit an overpaid one. But the only issue with that position group is the depth is very questionable. Now you have Chicolo, who is absolutely a backup. You do not want him as the first guy going in though, because his ceiling is so low, man. He's just a limited athlete. He's in, he's actually another example of the leadership that we talked about. If you look at their Instagram videos, you can tell he's got one of the biggest personalities on the team. He's a special teams monster and he's a really valuable player for your team. I think those players are incredibly valuable, but you don't want him as your first backup. Hopefully Ola Adenye takes a step forward. I know Steelers nation loves him. He played really well last preseason, but we don't know. That's a, you know, Eli Rogers looked like he was going to be a star in those preseasons and he sort of tapered off, but they didn't get anybody in the draft. You do have to watch the depth there. So the depth isn't great, but I do think the high end will be a little bit better. So it looks like the, the defensive line is going to be a push. I mean, you have Hargrave, you have um, obviously. Big boys to oh. it and Hayward, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not sure they helped themselves out. I mean, they did pick up the Cajun, Henry Mondeau. But go. in the draft, we got Isaiah Bugs. I think that this could be a little bit of an upgrade because the the I, I think I put out a tweet about this a couple of days ago, or maybe I left it in the drafts. You got, let me know if I put it out. I guess I can let me know if I just go back and look at the tweets, but the other person, the person who I thought stood out the most in the last four games of the season was Javon Hargrave. If yeah. you remember his rookie year, he was really good. He was the best rookie between Davis and Artie Burns. I know that's not saying a lot, but actually Davis had a nice second half of his rookie year as well. And then Hargrave just sort of fell off. And he kind of dipped back down. He didn't hear much about him. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't making plays. Well, last year he started making plays. And then in the second half of last year, he really started making plays in the same way that TJ Watt did in terms of he was beating his man. He was beating double teams. He was rushing the quarterback, which is what they drafted him for. He, he came from South Carolina State. That's why they were able to get him in the third round when they drafted him. But he, he was one of the best pass, pass rushers in the nation that year when he came out for the draft. So he is a dude that can get after the quarterback, kind of like a Cam Hayward. And a side note, a little all over the place here, I know, but Cam Hayward, uh, TJ Watts' progress reminds me a bit of Cam's. Cam was a very late in the first round pick and just sort of incrementally and slowly improved until you realize like, oh, he's a superstar by his fifth or sixth year. So it, the player's development isn't always done by that second or third year. And maybe uh, Hargrave can have that type of development too. I'm not saying he'll be as big of a star as Hayward, but if he's making a difference like he did in those last four games and they can remain relatively healthy with Tuit and Hayward and the rest of the guys, that could actually be a slight improvement. So if we're looking at cornerback, I think we, we talked about this ad nauseum and we definitely feel an upgrade bringing in Steven Nelson uh, within yeah. the draft of Justin Lane. So Obviously, we've talked about Joe Hayden. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Artie Burns, whether he even sees the field as a special teams player. He's used as cannon fodder at some point. He'll probably be cut, honestly. There, I think there's rumors of that coming out now. He's got a, bo- a bonus due soon. But I think that, obviously, the cornerbacks are improved. But another, you know, 
I don't think I'm looking at the glass half full here when I talk about assuming Hargrave and TJ Watt are going to improve because I saw it. It's a little bit different than a Washington where, listen, I've, I've seen James Washington show the ability to improve this or that, or but not as obviously as we saw with some of these other guys like Watt or Hargrave or, um, you know, Juju is rookie. I mean, that one was more obvious, right? But another guy that I'm looking at in the cornerback group is Mike Hilton, another dude who came on very strong as an undrafted rookie. And I think sometimes we got to remember, Hey, he's young. Imagine what's going to happen if he's, you know, he's got a fire lit under his butt a little bit because there's some other corners on his tail. Justin Lane, a lot of us think he's going to be a red shirt guy, but Cameron Sutton, he doesn't want to be the forgotten man in Pittsburgh. He had a lot of hype about him last year, but he's dealt with some injuries and stuff. So I think this group will benefit from the competition in camp as well. And you got to remember like, Hey, Hayden is maxed out. I mean, he's only going to go down from here. He's older. I mean, it's a critical position cornerback to be athletic and fast. And once you lose that, it's going to be tough, but we, I think everybody still assumes he can still be good this year. Nelson, he's more or less maxed out. He's in his athletic prime, but Hilton, he could improve a little bit. And then you have three good, really for the first time in forever, three actual NFL starting cornerbacks on the same team. And then some nice backups behind them with Sutton and Lane and some of those guys. So obviously better than last year. So uh, Ron talks about safeties being an up arrow next year or this, this coming year. The only reason I think you could say that is Sean Davis has Sean Davis and Terrell Edmonds have a year under their belt. And, uh, and and I thought like you and I talked about, I thought Sean, Sean Davis did an admirable job once again, switching positions and uh, Terrell Edmonds showed flashes. We'll have to see that. I'm not sure that they have much beyond that though. The depth is terrifying. They have no legitimate safeties behind them. So it's hard to make it through 16 games as a safety in the NFL. It's a physical position, but I agree. It's kind of like, there's nowhere they can go, but up Terrell Edmonds was supposed to be a red shirt. His, his rookie year, maybe coming in and playing some dime, but he was forced into action because of Burnett's inability to stay on the field. And Sean Davis was one of the big pleasant surprises of last year. I mean, he was horrific and embarrassed on national television over and over again in 2017. And in 2018, he was a big part of why the Steelers stopped giving up those weekly 60-yard touchdown passes, which killed the team for years. He was a big reason why people didn't give that up. Now he gets to play the same position again. He is allergic to interceptions and turnovers, as we know, but he is athletic and he can move sideline to sideline a bit, which you need for the free safety. And Terrell Edmonds, we've seen, he, he should be, along with Bush, the best athlete. He looks like the most explosive athlete and maybe Watt on that defense. And he can really only go up from there. So hopefully they get better, but that depth is terrifying. You do have to assume they'll be better than the versions of themselves that were rookies at those positions. And then finally on special teams, I want to just state the obvious that, um, that, that is a huge question mark. Because uh, what one am I? Yeah, Boswell. Yeah, but I, I'm going to focus on so, so since you can't answer that, I'd more focus on. I think they're going to be an upgrade in speed. I think the special teams will cover better. I'm not sure if the return game will be any better, but I think you do have competition for returners. There will be more than just Switzer returning things, but I think the coverage is going to be better because yeah. I think they've been an upgrade in and speed. Johnson. Correct. 
Yeah, that's a good point. The only thing I wonder about is DHB being off the team. He was such a reliable gunner, and it's such an underrated position. Uh, Matthew Slater is the guy in New Orleans who makes, or sorry, in New England who makes the Pro Bowl every year as a gunner. And DHB did a similar thing where Barry, he's super inconsistent as a punter, but he does get good hang time on his punts. And Hayward Bay, even as an old guy, still faster than almost anybody and very wily and aggressive. And he knows how to play special teams. He dedicated himself to that. And it's not so simple where you can just do it and be good at the gunner position right away. Hayward Bay did bring some, you know, experience, some nuance to that position, which you are missing now, which is unfortunate. But I do agree that we were just talking about all the young corners who are going to be backups this year who are talented. Those guys need to be playing. Hopefully Justin Lane can earn a gunner spot. That would be the best case scenario for somebody like that. Who's a good athlete. He's not, you know, crazy fast or anything like that. I think he's another four or five guys. So maybe he's not particularly the guy for the job, but um, you know, some, one of these young guns needs to become a young gunner. And I don't know who it's going to be, but if I had to place a bet, I'd place it on my bookie, mybookie.ag. It's a great place to do bets. My booker offers betters, my bookie, excuse me, offers betters in all major markets and entertaining lineup of gaming options. You can do prop bets. You can take the bet on, is Chris Boswell going to return with a vengeance? Will he? I think he will. Actually, I don't know, and I'm very scared for it. But either way, you can bet on it on my bookie. Take advantage of the in-game live betting or on over-unders and stuff like that. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And when you're betting, you can do it on my AG, mybookie.ag, on your cell phone because they got a sleek mobile interface design. That's pretty nice, right? Visit mybookieag online today, and don't forget to use that promo code Outpost25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 of free play. You play, you win, you get paid. If you recall a week or two weeks ago, on we were both riding to the mine in the morning. We we often talk to each other in the morning. That that would probably be a conversation to record a little more smooth. But the right. question I had is which position trans transitions most readily or more difficultly to the NFL from college to the NFL? And we had a long conversation about that. I did, you know, I I've read a lot about it. That that makes me an expert now. But you had a very strong opinion about wide receivers having the hardest time transitioning to the NFL. That's basically what I've been told and what I've heard from the experts over the years. And then when you think about it yourself, it makes a lot of sense. There's much more nuance at the wide receiver position in the NFL as opposed to college, especially with the prevalence of the spread system in college. And I know people say that word a lot. And I think some people, we all pretend like we know what it is spread. Yeah. You, you basically pass a lot and you do five wide receivers and four wide receivers. Well, what also goes with that is it is very simple. It just kind of moves fast and spreads the field out. Right? So when you play receiver in these really successful college programs with the spread systems, you only run two or three routes. It's like a go, a stop and a post and, or in like a screen. You don't really get the opportunity to run the entire route tree. Whether you want to do a post corner or a post stop or a dig or a zig out or a pivot or, uh, you know, the comebacks or deep outs and learn how to catch deep outs from NFL arm quarterbacks. So just learning that route tree is something that takes a little adjusting, but 
you know, these guys who are playing in the spread system in college, if they're getting drafted high, they're great athletes. They'll be able to learn it. It just takes a little while. The other thing is just the level of cornerback play is so much, it's just so much better, right? So not only do you have to learn how to run more routes, but you have to do it with a, the best athlete that you've ever played in college is playing against you every week. And he's trying to push you and get you off of your route. And then you need to learn about your release game, which is the art of getting off of the jam. It's little head fakes here and there, little dipsy doos, whatever. Antonio Brown is essentially the God of this. Uh, Deontay Johnson, that's said to be his greatest strength coming out of college. So that's one of the reasons why they got him. So when you add that in, you also have to add the fact that, you know, that saying college open, some people say Ben likes his receivers college open where you're just, you, you get open, you have a couple yards of separation, you catch the ball. Well, NFL opens a little different NFL open is you have half a step on the guy and he's going to be hitting your elbow while you're catching the ball. You just have to get used to that type of combative catch on routine catches on a daily basis, on a gamely basis in the NFL. And then lastly, the last thing I'll say about it is some of the routes, well, for like some of the routes you run are dependent on the coverage. And there are so many different kinds of coverages. You are doing arithmetic in terms of defensive coverages in college. You are doing calculus in the NFL, especially if you're going to be playing against the Ravens and the Patriots all the time, like the Steelers do. And sometimes you have to know like your route, there's actually three different options. There's, you know, in, out, and or up based on where the coverage is. And you have to read it the same way the quarterback is to choose the right direction and then get your head around right when you make the break because the ball is going to be there. So there's just tons of nuance from that position. This may be overthinking it because I have a sample of one that I can bring to mind and maybe you can bring others. So Antonio Brown was buried in the draft and he turns out to be one of the best receivers ever. I wonder if a guy who can't just show up to college and own everybody because of the athleticism maybe works a little harder to get open would be more amenable to to the NFL game because he's used to having to work on more precise routes or timing. Maybe on an immediate basis, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Like they're even talking about Deontay Johnson who didn't run a great 40, but if you look at him on tape, he's much faster on the field than the 40 times is, but that guy's had to develop all of those nuanced releases and routes as a result of not being Calvin Johnson. Like you can't just run past everybody. So I think there's something to that, but it's also the same. Like I said before, like the guys who get drafted out of the spread system, if they're high draft picks, they're beast athletes, they're world-class athletes. They can learn this. It just might take them a little while longer. And I'd rather have the guy who can do everything like what you're talking about, you know, the guy who has to work harder and learn the routes. Well, I'll take the guy who's going to learn those same routes, but also do them faster and catch better and jump higher in the long run. But it's interesting. You can see somebody like there's another alternative. If you have like a Martavis Bryant, which is you are so fast and so tall and you can jump so high. We we're giving you the force gump roll when you come in rookie year. You don't even have to learn routes. Just do a screen or a go. And you saw it worked really well for him. Steelers don't really have a guy like that, but you saw it with Wallace and Sammy Coates and Martavis Bryant. And then unfortunately, a lot of those guys, they didn't, well, all of them didn't really develop any of the rest of the route tree. This is in any particular order. So I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the yeah. second hardest. Uh, can we dispense with quarterback? We, we didn't even talk about that. We sort of yeah, agree. Obvious. 
So this other perspective is offensive linemen. And there are, there are two, two thoughts to this. One is that you, you're in college and you're worried about spread offenses. You don't have to block that long. And then you come into the, and then you come into the NFL. You don't have a lot of contact during the offseason. You don't have, you, you can't practice as much as you need to, to adjust to a game where you have these large, fast, relentless defensive linemen. The other part of the um, argument about offensive linemen is you've got to learn more than one position on the line. You've got to, you're not going to get a starting position and the best opportunity. And we see that on the Steelers all the time is to have flexibility. Thus you have to learn at least two and maybe three positions on the offensive line to make the team. Cause you're definitely not going to be on, you're probably not going to be on special teams. That's a great point. When you're talking about the later round picks, you do have to learn multiple positions. That's a really good point by you. You look at these critical Steelers linemen who have helped the Steelers through the year, like Doug Ligurski or Finney or whoever, or Hubbard, whoever it may be, these guys who have had to play multiple positions on the line, you have to make yourself a Swiss army knife just to make that team. I think the higher round guys, like first and second and third round guys, they're generally drafted to stick in the position they're in. But the difficulty with them also goes back to something you were saying, um, which I think relates back to what I was talking about about with receivers having to get used to the quality of athlete at cornerback. Well, guess what? Every defensive lineman you're playing against is an absolute freak show. And then you're going to run into some guys that you've probably never seen before when you have to play Geno Atkins or you have to, God forbid, play Aaron Donald, which I believe the Steelers do play this year. So hopefully it's all the veterans into that time. So first off, just the quality of athlete that you have to play against is much crazier than you're used to. The physicality, it's going to hurt, man. You're going to have to get used to the pain tolerance. And then same thing as the receivers, the thinking. There's so many different defensive fronts that you're going to see and the alignments are all different. And it would be nice if you call the play in the huddle and the coaches tell you, this is where the guy's going to be. You're going to block this guy to your left. Well, you get up to the line of scrimmage. Well, he's not on my left. He's head up on me. Or actually, he's shaded to the right. Now, what do I do here? And now the plan changes a little bit. And there's a lot more thinking that goes into that. Not to mention the fact that your buddies around you got to get used to you because we all know the offensive line is really like a, a what would you call them? They're, they're a squad. They're different cogs in the mechanical symbiotic. arm of protection. Yeah, symbiotic. So the flip side of that is on the defensive line. And I, I read something. This really cracked me up. So everybody has to get used to uh, an athlete at every position. So the right. defensive line is looking at an offensive line that they didn't see in college. And he said, and you and I have made this observation kind of snarkily, but the smarts of an NFL lineman is much greater than a college lineman. And they're probably smarter than you oh, nine yeah. times 10. And plus you're outnumbered every time. So it's, uh, you've got to be even more explosive and athletic and fast. And you, you get down to a Maybe that's why there are only three, two or three defensive linemen playing anymore. Well, I'll say this, though. The one thing about defensive line, I do think it's a little bit easier to adjust to as opposed to an offensive line uh, or something like that. Because at least at that position, part of your job is like just create havoc. I mean, some of these guys are coming into the NFL as physical beasts at the peak of their physical powers, and maybe they'll really get to that peak in their second year, we see with a lot of people. But some of the really high-class defensive linemen, first-round, top-15 type of guys, do come in as freak shows, and they don't always have to worry so much about the alignment of the offense or this or that. Sometimes their job is like just 
go blow that guy up. Just create havoc. I don't even need you to tackle the ball carrier. I just need you to push the guy in front of you as far back as you possibly can. And maybe you're playing against Ramon Foster and Ramon's been playing for 12 years and his knees hurt a little bit. And he's got to deal with this 22 year old who's staying, who got held back in eighth grade twice. And he's coming out just to be a beast, but you're right. Every position you can say that you got to get used to the greater quality of athlete across from you but i think it's fun to sort of talk about it on like a position to position basis because it sort of puts you in their mind like imagine being chooks and 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 lining up one day and be like okay that's von miller that's the old spice guy i saw that guy ruin cam newton's reputation for life after going 15 to 1 and having mvp season totally did a 360 on his reputation because he got dominated so hard from von miller I just think it must be uh, must be surreal, and uh, I wouldn't blame anybody if they wet themselves a little bit. Look, you, you have to have more respect. Defensive linemen, wide receivers get first mover advantage, right? Now, offense has to guess, cornerback has to guess, and I. That, which brings us to cornerback, and to me, that that ranks higher, uh, definitely higher than the defensive line, but pro- maybe even higher than the offensive line because you are definitely going against the most athletic person on offense every time. And you've got to mirror what he's doing. And now he has this arsenal of moves and patterns that he's going to be following. Yeah, that's true. Although I, I think that that one, I'd rank it a little bit lower once again, than the difficulty of transitioning wide receiver, because there is less to think about like with the receiver, you have to use that arsenal of moves but you also have to read the defense and you also have to read your own quarterback and you have to get used to that. And um, the corners of course, yes, have to get used to playing against a higher quality of athlete, but again, sort of like the defensive lineman, this is why I think defense is generally a little bit easier to transition to because there's a little bit less thinking. I'm not saying that you don't think on defense, but a, a little bit less than the offensive side, which is very schematic based. The defense is about reacting to the guy in front of you. And there are some guys like a Jalen Ramsey who can come in and we'll see about greedy Williams for the Browns. Hopefully it doesn't work very well for him, but greedy Williams already runs a four, three. I mean, he's already faster than every one of the Steelers starting receivers than actually all of their receivers on the whole team. And there is a certain point where the Browns might be able to tell him like, you just got to match up with this guy. You got to mirror him. But of course, to your point, I mean, Artie Burns, great athlete, couldn't figure out zone defense. So it's, like any position, but I would rank it below some of the offensive positions we talked about. Do you well, want to you know go through any more? Are there any main ones? I mean, should we talk about inside linebacker or with Bush? Well, we kind of through, uh, I, I just had one to wrap it up, but I actually think there, my impression is there are a lot more superior wide receivers than cornerbacks in the NFL. I think they are tougher to find. So in my opinion, I don't, maybe it's, maybe we shouldn't attribute it to the transition. We should just attribute it to the difficulty of the job, but that makes the transition harder. That's a good point. And the rules are stacked against you even more in in NFL as a corner. What I wanted to, what brought this up, I finally remembered. I was just thinking about Eddie Faulkner. I was just watching some of the OTA film and watching him and they, yeah, the the running back coach. And he came from North Carolina state. And I just was curious, like, what is the difference? And you would think, you know, colleges have like as many coaches, even at D2, as they have players and they just have nothing but time to teach technique. And yet you still hear of Cam Hayward learning technique in OTAs in his right. 87th season. 
it, but then, so it led me to the question for me was, so what's the transition like for a coach? And they talked to Barry Switzer and they, this doesn't really speak to his transition. It was, he was talking about whether he enjoyed pros or college football. And he said, the beauty of professional football is it's nothing except coaching. And the players are adults. There's no academic supervision. They're like grown men who are responsible if they get into trouble, as opposed to the babysitting you have to do in college to get these guys through. But he said he gets more of a connection in college because it's less, I mean, let's face it, it is a business, but it's less of a business than the NFL. And the example that uh, he pointed out was that the Cowboys, Cowboys, unfortunately, won the Super Bowl against the Steelers in 1995. The following season, 16 of his players from that Super Bowl championship team were no longer Cowboys, which just shows you the transitory nature yeah. in the NFL. Well, that's, that's true, and that's true for every position. I'd be curious to hear what he says more about the on-field difficulties that the running backs face. You know, in terms I of, realize of I didn't address that. I think that. we all agree it's the easiest position, probably the easiest position to transition to. None, of course, knowing that none of them, none of them are easy, but running back at the end of the day still is like, yes, they're going to be faster. There's going to be, they're going to be stronger. The pass protection is probably the difficult part to adjust to, but at the end of the day, you know how to run the ball. You're, you're an elite running back already at whatever college you were at, take the ball and run with it. And that's why we've seen so much success from some of these guys over the years. So part of team building is uh, being together off the field and the Steelers do that as well as anybody as good as goodly as anybody and they went to top flight golf and i was uh was going through the website just looking at the uh some of the film clips of these guys oh boy man they could benefit from a golfing coach so could i i've i've only went to a driving range range one time in my life and that's just a can of horror that i don't want to bring into my life at this point but I, uh, you look at some of these team building, usually the Steelers go to Dave and Buster's, which if it were me, I'm, I'm picking D D and B over golf, because like I said, I've never really golfed before. So I don't know how much fun I'd have there, but at least you're not practicing. You're chilling. You're kicking back with your teammates. Yes. It's sort of, uh, it's not like organic or anything like that. All the teams do this. So it's sort of like, yeah, you would almost rather, the team just let you go early that day. But from what I've heard and from what you can see in the pictures, honestly, like it looks like the players have a good time. And Chris Sims mentioned it on his podcast or when on Florio's show that some of those were, those were some of the best times of his life. Those random uh, OTA days off that they got. And yes, it's sort of structured that way, but it does end up being fun and it's a nice reprieve. And it does sort of feel like the coaches are giving you a break, even though that break is previously built into the plan of the OTAs, just as far as top golf goes, I know Ben's a big golfer. I don't know if anybody else, I haven't heard of anybody else hitting the links, maybe Pouncey. Pouncey's made some money over the career. He's a, he's a Florida guy, but he is a lineman but he is a very athletic lineman. So I can't, I'm trying to think of who else would be. I, a think, good. I think the long snappers are generally good golfers just because time, the on, their time on their hands. So candidate, let me think. It's, uh, I know people probably get annoyed at us of mentioning Antonio Brown so often, but get, listen guys, it's a big part of the, tr- uh, calling it a big part of the transition of the team. That would be the understatement of the century, but he would be the kind of guy that I would think could be a really good golfer because you're looking for the guy with that sort of slender athletic body, but who's got that coordination. If I, I want to see other guys on the team who can throw a football, like the really good athletes, in my opinion, there's different types. There's the ones who are like 
like the corners you talk about ike taylor so fast so strong can change direction well can't catch a ball even if he had a giant net at his disposal just stone hands probably can't shoot a basketball i i do not think he can golf but there's other guys who are like oh they can throw well they can catch well if you go play baseball with them they can probably hit it they can shoot a three-pointer those are the type of guys we're looking at so you're usually looking at the wide receivers so between all of them you just hey so they i was i just looked up an article pga.com in 2017 ranked Ben as the fourth best golfer among NFL quarterbacks. Do they include Romo? Cause Romo's at, I mean, Romo's yeah. obviously got aspirations yeah. of, of scratch amateur golf and he's better than all the rest of the quarter quarterbacks, but he's definitely not threatening anybody on the PGA tour. I think he came in like 226 out of 228 at a, an event. They just let Romo play. At. So that well, really Gay said he's, he's talented. They said that there's who, a lot of who's above golf. Ben who's above Ben. Uh, it doesn't look like anybody, except I would I would bet that Mason Rudolph is a country club guy. Yeah, he looks like one, doesn't he? Wait, yeah. but you said Ben was right, rated the fourth as NFL player as golf as Patrick quarterback. Oh well, then who are the other? Uh, it doesn't say. They got punters in here. Actually, I'm going to have to read the article. I'll bring it back next week. It might be a little more, something interesting. I'll, I'll oh, control. Yeah, I thought that it was just a list. You want to say Drew Brees, right? You want to say it'll be like Brees, but then again, Brees actually, you know, studies tape all the time. So maybe, maybe someone that's a little, probably Mahomes, let's be honest. He could probably drive it 600 yards. Hey, thanks for sticking with us this entire uh, podcast. The new recording we have does not have a timer on it. So we just, we maybe rambled a little bit, but hopefully you enjoyed that. And hopefully you will join in on the conversation. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up, follow us and talk to us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website like Mark did, SteelersOutpost.com. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Actually, Mark sent us an email. So do any of those things. Anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. 
build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.